We have been in the book of Romans for quite some time, and we've come to the last couple chapters. Um, We begin this morning with Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with, with one mind and with one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. We find in, in the... In the book of Romans, just this large section of, of verses, um, both in chapter 14 and in, in chapter 15, calling the people of God to, to unity, calling the people of God to, to not divide or not to shame, but to, to be in, in such a place that we desire to build each other up and to, and to be gracious with one another. I, I see that, that, that the Holy Spirit inspired these sections to be, to be recorded in the book of Romans because we as the church, as churches around the world, we need it. Um, we, uh, I was reading in, in Kent Hughes' commentary on this particular section, and he, he begins just by, by asking, if you knew that you had... 24 hours to live, what would you do in those last 24 hours? And you could probably think of things that, that you would want to do, things that you had never done or things that were the most important to you. And, and then he goes from there to, to talk about in the last 24 hours in the life of Christ. One of the things that he did was pray for unity within the church. He says in John 17 and verse 11, now I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. He goes on in the prayer and says, I, I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. I'm not just praying for these that are right here, but us who would be here on a, a day like today. I, I'm, I'm praying for those who will believe that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I've given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. There in the, in the final 24 hours in the life of Christ, his prayer is that we would be one, that we would be together. And so we continue in, in, in Romans 15, and we see the Holy Spirit calling us to this once again. Remember in, in, in chapter 14, we see that, that the, the issues in which he's calling unity towards are that of, of those that would say, we can eat this meat, or no, I, I can't eat that meat. 
Um, should we eat meat offered to idols? Uh, we have freedom in Christ to do that. And then there's the weaker brother who says, no, I, I can't do that. Dealing with, with days and, and, and looking at, should we be under these particular days? No, we're free from those days. But others say, no, we're still to be under those, those, those days, the sabbatical days and other days. And so they're looking at these things and saying, what should we do when people disagree on things like this? And, and we find in these chapters the calling of, of God upon us to, to be so gracious with one another, to be so loving towards one another. We find that, that there's the, the, these huge sections of Scripture that, that call us to this because God cares about how we are towards one another. It matters to him. You find it all through Scripture that he, he genuinely cares how we are with one another as a local church. Um, the way that we minister to people, the way we use our gifts. He's gifted each one of us in certain ways for the purpose of building up each other, for the purpose of our edification, for our encouragement, for our growth. He cares about gossip. He cares about it. He hates it. He cares about the way that we teach. He cares about the unity that is to be there. He cares about the way that we love each other. He's demonstrated. He cares about the way that we serve each other. He cares about how we function together as a body. And as God cares about this, likewise, so should we. We've talked about this in, in, in previous sermons, but we, we live in a, in a culture in which... Um, it is very easy to be alone. It's very easy to be in church and to still be alone. It's very easy to, to be in, in, in a place where, where you can go to church and have nobody know who you are. Churches that even cater towards that. Um, years ago, I, I read of a church that advertised that you can they had the service on a big screen and you could pull up like a drive-through and you could put the speaker there on your window like the old drive, um, drive-in theaters that they had. And, and, um, and it was just an incredible thing that this church offered because you didn't even have to talk to anybody. Um, I was talking with somebody today that was, was talking about someone that they're excited that they went to church, but, but they said that... that um, they went to a big church, and the reason that was given is because they didn't, they didn't want anybody to know their business. And it's, it's easy to think that way. It's easy for us to say, like, I'd rather be someplace where nobody knows my business. Nobody gets involved with my life. Nobody is there to, to, to be there to say, no, this is wrong, or maybe we could grow in this area, or, or can I encourage you in this way, or how can I pray for you? Um, May we never lose that as a church. In fact, may we grow in that. I pray that we would grow in that, the, the unity that is there. In verse 1 of chapter 15, it says, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. And so as he's continuing this this topic of the unity that is to be there and the strong and the weak and bearing with one another. His exhortation to us is bear with them. Not in a way of, 
well, is this the best thing for me? But being in a place of, no, I want to, I want to esteem others higher than myself. I, I want to look around and, 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 and not be in a place of, well, I can use my freedom to do whatever I want to do. I have freedom. I can do this. But being in a place of, how can I encourage my brother the best that I possibly can? There may be some among us who don't understand our freedoms in Christ. Um, who maybe carry some aspects of the law for which Christ has made us free. And we're not to use our freedoms in such a way as to cause others to stumble, but to build them up, to not judge them, to not stumble them, but to edify them. We're to look at them and see them and help them carry their load. Not trying to please ourselves, but to minister to them until they're able to understand their freedoms in Christ. The Holy Spirit wants us to see that it's not about putting ourselves first but about putting our neighbor, our brother and sister first and having a loving heart that wants to encourage them and build them up and be pleasing to them and to be a blessing to them. He says in, in, in verse 3, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And so Paul says, for even Christ. So he's tell, telling us, Do what pleases your neighbor for their building up. And then he takes us immediately, consider Christ. Even Christ, even him. He didn't please himself. And then he brings us to Psalm 69. As it is written, the reproaches reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Even Christ didn't please himself, but he takes him to the place of, Consider Christ and consider him and consider what he did. You consider Christ and he's the creator of all that exists. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. He's the alpha and the omega and he is all powerful. And you think of what it is that Christ has done. In Psalm 69, it's it's, it's an incredible messianic psalm that that is pointing to Christ to come. But it says things in that psalm like where, where Christ says, For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I've come into deep waters. The floods overflow me. He says in verse 4 of Psalm 69, Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs on my head. He's there in this, this Messianic Psalm and looking at it and it's just saying, Those that hate me, those that reproach me, are, they're, they're more than the hairs that are on my head. He says, those who sit in the gate speak against me, and I am the song of the drunkards. He's praying to the Father, you know my reproach, my shame, my dishonor, my adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart, and I'm full of heaviness. I I look for someone to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. So he's there upon the cross. What do they give him to drink? They give him vinegar to drink. They, they hate him. They're looking upon him. They're staring at him, but they're all enemies of him. There is no comfort to be found amongst them. And so here, the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to say, 
Think of Christ, even Christ. Even Christ bore the reproach of everybody. The the enemies were all against him. You think of the heaviness of it where in Matthew 26, he says he began to become sorrowful and deeply distressed there as he's there in the, in the garden. And he has Peter and, and the two sons of Zebedee there. And, and he says to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, oh, my, my father, if it's possible, let this cup Pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And even as he's calling upon them to watch and to pray, they fall asleep. Could you not watch and pray? Could you not for one hour? And you see where Christ is there, and, and it's this picture of Psalm 69 where everybody is there, but he is very much alone, taking all of the reproach upon himself. So consider Christ. When we look and we think, oh, I'm not going to give up those freedoms, and why would I do that? I have the right. I... The Holy Spirit says, consider Christ. Back in the 1600s, in 1674, there was a man by the name of Isaac Watts that was born. Probably familiar to most of you. Um, he had written so many things, but there as a, as a teenager... He says, to, he says to his father um, to, to see the dull indifference, the negligent and thoughtless air that sits upon the faces of a whole assembly while the psalm is upon their lips might even tempt a charitable observer to suspect the fervency of their inward religion. Um, he's hearing people singing at that particular time in the Church of England, they, they simply sung the psalms. Uh, they would never have sung anything other than the psalms. They, they were singing other songs in places like Germany, but there in England, it was strictly the psalms. And he's saying, there's just such dull indifference as they sing. even someone who comes in, that they would question the fervency of their inward religion. His dad encouraged him, then then write something. And so he did. As a teenager, he wrote a hymn that probably is one of the most famous hymns that has ever been written. And from what I understand, it was in the year 1690. Um, He was somewhere around 16 years old. And he wrote the, the hymn, The Wondrous, when I surveyed the wondrous cross. When I surveyed the wondrous cross. But he's there, and, and this goes right in alignment with the topic that we're looking at, because in that day, let's sing only the Psalms. And he's saying, they don't seem like they mean it. Can't we sing something different? And there were those like, no, absolutely not, only the Psalms. And there's people within the church that would still say that today. And the Psalms are beautiful. They're incredible just to sing the Psalms. But he's saying, no, I think we have freedom to, to sing other songs too. And this was the, the song in which he penned at that particular time. 
when I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. And the, 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 the psalm or the hymn continues on. But he's there and, and, and writing this as a teenager just saying, when I survey the wondrous cross, when I survey it, when I look upon the cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. It comes to a place of consider even Christ. Survey the cross. As you're looking and saying, that's it, I'm done with that person. That's it, I don't want to have fellowship with it anymore. I'm not going to give up my freedom. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to be gracious here. I'm going to divide over these things. The Holy Spirit says, consider Christ. Consider Christ. He took all of the contempt upon himself. Consider the insults that went upon him. Consider the freedom in, in which he gave up. Consider what he did not to please himself, but to please us. What he did to, to go to the cross, to even sweat drops of blood. Consider Christ. Consider what he did. Consider that he, the Lamb of God, without spot or blemish or any such thing, became the sacrifice in which he would take all of our sins upon himself so that we could be without sin, so we could have his righteousness. Consider Christ when there is that temptation to say, that's it, I'm done, I'm leaving, I'm dividing. Consider the cross, the grace in which Christ has shown to us, his people. We'll sing in the second set here, the first song. It'll begin with the more modern rendition of when I survey the wondrous cross, but the The chorus goes, oh, the wonderful cross, oh, the wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that I may truly live. Oh, the wonderful cross, oh, the wonderful cross, all who gather here by grace drawn near and bless your name. We come and we consider the cross and we gather together to worship him. In verse 4 of Romans 15, it says, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So he had just quoted Psalm 69. And then he goes from there to say, for whatever things were written before, were written for our learning. That we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The Old Testament and all of scripture was written for our learning. It was written for our instruction that we might apply it to our lives. It was given to us so that we would hear it and apply it to our lives. As we learn from Scripture, we have patience. Um, that, that, that patience is the ability to endure through suffering, to wait in, in, this, in this world for eternity with Christ. That patience that will give us the ability to wait, to know that God has us here to be a grand demonstration of the glory and grace of our God. We are those who have been redeemed. As those who trust in the work of Christ upon the cross, we're to shine as lights here on the earth. We have patience as we learn from God's word that he has a plan, that he's in control, that he's fulfilling promises that were given thousands of years ago, that he never changes, that he's always faithful, that he's bringing us 
that he's bringing to pass a glorious plan of making for himself his own special people. This knowledge of Scripture gives us hope. And so you go through the Old Testament and you look, and it creates patience within us. Looking and just being able to see it and say, he's got a plan. You, you go through the Old Testament and it is very evident that God has a plan. From the time that Adam and Eve fall in the garden and the animals that are killed, the shedding of blood that are there as he makes tunics for Adam and Eve, the shedding of blood for the remission of sins, all the way through all of the prophecies that are given, all of them are, that are fulfilled, it's all pointing to the, to, to the fact that there is the Lamb of God that is going to come that will take away the sins of the world. And you can just see that there is a plan. Last Saturday, as I was there just to see this young lady's final breath, to be there when she breathed her last. Just, just minutes before listening to the mom just say, can we, can we please sing? Can we, can, can we just please sing praises unto God? Desire to, to worship. Saying over and over again, I don't understand, but I know that he has a plan. I don't understand, but he has a plan. She's going to be with him. She's going to be with her little sister. She's entering into the joy of the Lord. God has a plan. How does someone articulate that in the hardest of times apart from learning from Scripture that God has a plan? You look at the life of Joseph and you see from the very beginning, the, the jealousies that are there as his father shows favoritism towards him. Him being hated by his brother because he has the coat of many colors. Them, them taking him and, and as he goes out to see how they're doing, they, they say, here comes the dreamer. God had given him dreams. They hated him for it. They look at how they might kill him and they they decide not to, but to throw him into a pit and to let him die there. And then the traders come, and, 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 and the Midian traders, and they say, well, let's just sell him into slavery. At least we can make some money for him. And so they sell him into slavery. And he goes there, and he is sold to Potiphar. And we, we watch the whole process of him being there, trying to, to live righteously there in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife, and what she does is, is as far as trying to... to commit adultery with him and him running away. No, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against the Lord my God? And she accuses him falsely and he's thrown into prison. And, and we see the chief baker and the chief butler and they're there and they have dreams and the dreams disturb them. And Joseph's there and ask him what's wrong. And then he interprets the dreams and uh, chief baker dies. The chief butler gets reinstated just as the dream was given. And, and Joseph tells the chief butler, remember me, I'm innocent, I didn't do anything. And so there the chief butler goes back to Pharaoh's house and he forgets him. And then the Pharaoh has a bad dream. And then at that point he remembers him and, and he comes and interprets the Pharaoh's dream. And, and then you, you, you watch and, and he becomes from 
hated from his brothers, to thrown into the pit, to sold into slavery, to falsely accused, to thrown into prison, to being the second in command of the largest empire in the world. And you, you just watch the process of the dreams that were given initially to Joseph as a little boy, that his brothers would come before him and bow before him, to where he's there and he's distributing food and finally reveals who he is. And, and he says to them, as for you, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about his plan. And we're able to read a story like that and say, he's got a plan. He has a plan. God has a plan for the things that he does. And so, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, we have hope. The scripture gives us patience as we read that in it. Comfort proceeds from those patients. When we're holding on to the promises of God, we're comforted. When we trust that God is in control and that he's accomplishing his purposes and plans, we're comforted. Through the learning that comes from God's word, we find patience and comfort. And from that same learning, we have hope. God's word was written that we might have hope and that that hope is in the gospel and in the God of the gospel. It doesn't matter how much you know. If, if you don't know from Scripture the hope of the gospel, you're without hope. I mean, all of our hope is in the gospel. You see it in Ephesians 2 where, where Paul is talking about those that, that were once in the flesh, that were once of the uncircumcision, that, that were once unbelievers. And he says that at that time you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants and the promises, having no hope and without God in the world. You are without hope. There's no hope for anybody who is an unbeliever. There's no hope in anybody that doesn't have the hope in the gospel. For us to, to be in a place of, okay, I have hope that I will spend eternity with him and not just a, a hope that, well, I hope so, but a hope that is an assurance. I have hope in this life because of the fact that Christ died for me. He took my sins upon himself. He gave me his righteousness. I have hope because I serve a God who is the, the one in whom he knows his sheep and they hear his voice and they follow him. There is a gospel message that says, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We have a hope that he takes us and takes our hearts of stone and makes them hearts of flesh, that he makes us new creations, that he takes us and he says, I hold you in my hand and the Father is greater than all, holds you in his hand and there's no one that can snatch you away and I have an inheritance that's given to you and it's incorruptible and it's undefiled and it doesn't fade away and it's reserved in heaven for you and it's kept by the power of God and you will spend eternity with him and you'll have everlasting life and you'll come and you'll drink from the living waters and he'll be your God and you'll be his people and you'll always dwell with him and it's not based upon your good works because your good works before him are filthy rags your righteousness is as filthy rags but it's based upon the very righteousness of Christ and his good work and him giving you his righteousness and him taking your sin upon himself that is our hope in this world it's the wondrous cross that has made it so that we get to spend eternity with him and without him, there is no hope in this world. The verse goes on and says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
You once were without hope, but now you've been brought near. So we see here in our text, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now, verse 5, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus. Now may the God of patience and comfort. It's not just read scripture and then you're going to have patience and then you're going to have comfort, then you're going to have hope. Just read and then it'll all work out. He goes from there and says, no, it's not just about our ability to read and to do. It's about God's ability to take his word and have it come alive to us and change us. It's his working in us to bring that patience and that comfort, that hope. And so he immediately shifts from there to say, now, may the God of patience and comfort, may he do this in you. And may he grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus. May he do that in us. I, I look and I, I hear of, of churches that have just incredible splits that take place. I, I talked to a pastor just in the last couple of weeks. How are things going? You know what? We're, we're kind of going through a church split right now. Talked to another one this last week and just said, like, there's a discipline situation that is taking place and it could easily lead to a, several people leaving. And I look and I, I, I praise God for the last eight and a half years since Reverence Bible Church started, there, there hasn't been major church splits or anything. There's been people that have left, people that have moved, but, but nothing to where there's just some crazy divisive church split. And I, I praise God for that. And I, I pray that that would never happen to us. I pray that, that we would read passages like this and just see that may there just be a like-mindedness amongst us. May there be such grace that is shown to one another. May, may, may we just carry the scruples of the weak. May we just care for one another. May that not ever take place here, but may we be just of one mind. And you see that here. May God grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus in accordance with Christ Jesus, in accordance with his will and the example that he set, may we be like-minded towards one another. May we be one and unified in a like-minded church. You see in Psalm 133 where it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Behold how good it is, how precious it is for us here on a morning like this to dwell together in unity. There is something that unifies all of us. And it's such a blessing to have it. He goes on and he says, it's, it's like the precious oil upon the head, running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. It's, to dwell together in unity is just like to have a a fragrant oil just upon your head, coming down your beard, coming down upon your shoulders. The sweetness of that. It's like dew that is there on the mountain. The, the, the dwelling together in unity. We are unified. We're here this morning. We are a church. 
We are the body of Christ. We have one head, which is Christ, and we have many members who are here together, gifted in different ways. But there is unity that is here. There is unity because every one of us, all of us were sinners, unable to save ourselves. It's something that is consistent amongst all of us. Every one of us who are here are here, and we, we know that not one of us was better than another. Every one of us was dead in our sins and trespasses, and yet he's, he has called us by his Holy Spirit. It wasn't just one of us. It wasn't half of us. Every one of us had been called by the Holy Spirit. We all believe the same gospel. Our faith is in Christ who died on the cross for our sins. There's unity that comes in that. There's unity in that we have the same Heavenly Father. There's unity in that we have the same Holy Spirit indwelling us. There's unity in that we serve the same Lord. We pray to the same God. We are all sheep that belong to the same shepherd, and we all are part of the same body. We've all been baptized and have identified ourselves with Christ. And we have all the same precious word of God to teach us about who God is and to treasure him. And to see what it is that he desires for us as far as how we are to live from his word. We'll all spend eternity together. We all have an inheritance that's kept for us by the power of God. There's unity that comes with that. All of us together are united so, we see that that is something in which the church is to be. In Acts chapter 2, you hear Peter preaching. He says to the people, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. And we find in, in Acts 2 that Those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 of them, about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 people got saved. Now we look, and even as a smaller church, there's a possibility of not being together, not being unified. But the Holy Spirit inspired Acts 2 so that we could see there was 3,000 people that got added to the church. But what do they do? They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. So they get saved, and what do they do? They're together, and they're studying God's word like we're doing right now. They, they were breaking bread together. They're breaking bread together, spending time together. And they were praying together. We're told that they had all things in common. I mean, there was this unity that was there because God had saved them. They all followed Christ. They all believed in the same Lord. They even sold their possessions and goods, and they divided them among all as anyone had need. Who, who has need? Let's help them. Let's care for them. It says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Just incredible work that God was doing as the church was united together. In verse 6, it says that you may be one with one mind 
and one mouth glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you might be one and that together with one mind, with one mouth glorifying him. May we glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we show his worth by esteeming and treasuring him above all things. May that be us. Like, may there be something that unifies us, and that is that together we just have this passion to glorify God. There's one mind, there's one mouth. That's what takes place. We desire to glorify him. May we glorify him as we talk to our neighbor. With one mind, with one mouth, we're saying we treasure him above everything. With one mind and with one mouth, can I just tell you what God has done to save me? Can I share with you the gospel? This is what God has accomplished for me. May we live our lives so that people would look and see that there is one mind and one mouth that says, I, I treasure Christ above all of these things that are here on this earth. These things are far less than Christ. May we glorify him that he gave us his only begotten son. May we with one mind and with one heart, with one mouth, be able to look and just say, and Christ is the express image of his person. He's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's Almighty God who rules with his hand all things. He's our salvation. And may we sing like that together. May it be just a part of everything that we do as a church as far as this passion to glorify him. To glorify him. We see... God calling us to do that over and over again. I always love it when I hear the call to worship. And the call to worship this morning came from Psalm 150, verses 1 through 6. And the way in which my notes closed this morning are with Psalm 150, verses 1 through 6. It wasn't planned. It was just the Holy Spirit working that way. We began with, with a call to worship to say, let's, let's come together and let's worship him. Let's worship him. This is who he is. This is what he has done. Let's come together and worship him. With one mind, with one mouth, may we worship him. And the psalm goes like this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And you look at it, it's just this calling of, one mind, one mouth, we're together to hear, here to say, praise him. I'm saved as a result of him. 
I'm saved as a result of a God who saved me, a Holy Spirit who drew me, who changed my heart, who regenerated me, who made me a new creation. I'm saved and there's just one faith, there's one Lord, there's one baptism. We serve one God, we have one Savior. There's this unity that is there in all of the glory for our salvation goes to Him and so I praise Him. May we with one mind and with one mouth glorify Him, praise Him like that. Our section this morning closes with Romans 15, verse 7. Therefore, therefore receive one another. Therefore, in light of Christ and what he has accomplished for us, the unity that we have in Christ, therefore let us receive one another. Just as Christ also received us to the the glory of God. To him be the glory for it. What an amazing section of scripture that we have before us this morning. And I pray that, that we would, with, with one mind and with one mouth, be here together, recognizing what Christ has accomplished for us, and that we would sing the wonderful cross this morning. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this section of scripture the calling in which you have called us to, to be in unity. May we find that something to be precious here at our church. I pray, Lord, that we would carry each other's burdens, that we would never do anything that would place a stumbling block in front of you any person here within the church, but that we would love them and desire to please them rather than pleasing ourselves, that we'd consider others more than we would consider ourselves, that there would be such a a bond of unity here that we would see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, as, as the bride of Christ, as those who will spend eternity with you, as those that are in unity because we've all been washed by the blood of Christ together. That we wouldn't look at some as being of this race or of that race or of this age or of that age or male or female, married or not, kids or elderly. But that we would find ourselves to be just unified in Christ together. And that we would go from this place and shine brightly. That with one mind, that with one mouth, we would be just so fervent and zealous to proclaim the gospel and to glorify you in all that we do. We pray, Lord, that you would, would accomplish that here at Reverence Bible Church. Now, may Lord, may you be exalted as we sing praises unto your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.